0: The lavish love that God has placed upon our lives. I want to talk about that with you this morning as we look in John chapter 3 verse 16. John chapter 3 verse 16. So I was thinking about this day. This day, of course, uh, really launches us into summer. And, of course, I have realized since being in Ruston that everything is very rhythmic in Ruston. I tell some of my friends from other places, I say, you know, Ruston... It just has this rhythm about it. It focuses around the university and the school. So oftentimes, when like the university is out or the schools are out, you'll see a lot of people that will be going in different directions, maybe vacation, maybe, of course, in the summer for us, a lot of missions. A lot of stuff will be happening. You'll start seeing the church attendance kind of go down just a little bit. So this year, i thought about that. And I've decided the best way that we can really increase our attendance during the summer is to preach on giving. So that's what I'm going to do in the next few months, all right? (laughs) Some of our deacons looked at me this morning when I mentioned this, and I think they were totally concerned about what was going to happen with our attendance when we think about giving. But we have purposely and intentionally wanted to move through these different facets of the church's life to really refocus us. Some of you remember back in January when when I came and I started the series on prayer that I wanted to make sure that we were re-emphasizing those core values in particular, those practices, let's call them that, those disciplines that we were founded upon. When we were getting ready for our 90th celebration back in last September, we were looking at the history of Temple Baptist Church and Dale and I were talking... I went to Dwight because he was here when it was founded 90 years ago and asked him about things, and we all kind of discussed And they told me that really when we started, this church wanted to be known as a praying, giving, and witnessing church. Those three aspects, those three disciplines, those three characteristics were to define who we were and who we are. And this morning... We come to focus on that second characteristic. We talked about prayer all through the first part of this year. And now I want to talk to you about giving. And when I talk to you about giving, understand this is more than just financial giving, okay? So before some of you check out on me next week and you don't come back because of this series, know that this aspect, this giving aspect affects all of our lives. And I want to start it, I think, where it should be started By recognizing that our God is the greatest giver that you could ever find. He is the most giving being in all of the universe. His very nature is a nature of giving. We know that as we look through the scripture. From cover to cover, you will see how God has provided for his people over and over. Always loving, always generous always caring for his children. Bill Hobbles put it this way. He said, Throughout the history of God's people, God opened his hands and generously provided them with food, drink, protection, blessing, and love. The psalmist himself declared, You open your hand and satisfy the desires of every living thing. The prophet Jeremiah proclaimed, His compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. God's kindness and generosity are not fading. His inclination toward us is not changing. His resources, listen to me, His resources are not drying up. Bound up in the very heart of God is the desire to shower His children with the goodness. James, the brother of Jesus, echoed this when he said that every good gift and every perfect gift is from above and comes down from the Father of lights with whom there is no variation or shadow of turning. Our God has always been a giver. Our God has always been one who would bless us and wanted to bless us as His children. Think about it practically, His blessings. Those of us who are here this morning, could we not all stand, if we had time this morning, and give testimony to how God has given to us in our lives? Oftentimes we think Thanksgiving time, that November kind of time frame is when we recount all of the blessings of God. Let me say to you, you ought not to wait till November to think about how good God is and how gracious he is and how thankful and grateful you and I should be. We should do that now. Recognizing that God is the giver. Think about it in your lives, students, of where you are now, what God has provided for you. For our grads, our high school grads, how God gave you the mental and physical ability to get where you are today. To give you everything that you needed. Just so that you could stand here before us. How grateful we are. Parents, grandparents. How grateful we are that they got to this moment, right? Oh my goodness. I thought somebody would go charismatic on me right there, did isn't they? (laughs) I thought you'd be proud that they finally graduated. That they're here. God has given. He has blessed us. We could recount all the ways. But let me point you to the supreme example of God's gift, God's giving in John three sixteen, It's that so familiar passage. It's that passage that so many of you have quoted that you learned when you were growing up. It is nestled in this conversation that Jesus had with Nicodemus. As Jesus was really just unpacking this idea of salvation, of being born again, Jesus said this, to Nicodemus, making such a powerful statement. Listen again to his words. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. If you want a supreme example of God's giving character, all you've got to do is go to John three sixteen. Because God so loved the world that He came, that He sent His one and only Son to die for us, to pay the price for us, so that if we would believe and trust, we could have everlasting love, life. Notice this. God's primary motivation for His giving is found in His love for us. Why does God give? Primarily, it is because He loves us. I mean, this is what He says here. That this specific example is that God so loved us. And that love moved Him to provide for us. God did not give simply out of external compulsion. He did not give because He was under duress. He did not give because He was forced. Our God gave intentionally because He loved That's what he said. This is what Jesus says about the Father. And this love is lavished upon us. Now that shouldn't surprise us, right? That God is motivated by love. Because this same John will write in his first letter and he'll say that God himself is love. That he's the very embodiment of love. That that is the character that defines him. He is love. So if he is love, he is motivated By that love. Listen, I know He loves me because I'm His child. But I'll tell you what else blows my mind. Is that He loved me before I was His child. Oh, look, I know I have this father-son relationship with Him now. And I know that He loves me in this intimate way. But when you consider this passage and you consider the testimony of Scripture, you see how God has always loved us. Notice, for God to love the world. He loved the world. That's somewhat inclusive, wouldn't you say? All of us that He has loved. He loved you and He loved me before we were even His children. Paul put it this way as he wrote to the Romans. He said, But God demonstrates his own love toward us and that while we were yet still sinners, Christ died for us. The greatest demonstration of love is that Christ, that God loved us while we were still in our sin. John later on again writing in his first epistle will say, we love him because he first loved us. In other words, it was love that motivated his giving. And this love was not just abundant and lavish, but this love was sacrificial. The love that you see here. Because the passage that we're looking at says that God so loved, I mean this enormous amount of love, He loved the world that He decisively gave His only Son. Love is action. Love is always action. It's always sacrificial, or it should be. The very word that's given here to us is that Greek word agape, which means the committed type of love, sacrificial type of love. But especially if you look at the context itself, it speaks to sacrifice. It speaks to action. I have to be reminded of that from time to time. That love is action. And if you don't remind me of that, I promise you my wife will remind me of that sometimes. I don't know if any of you ever read the five love languages... But Gary Chapman, some of you have, maybe some of you have been through the studies, talked about the different ways in which we love. You know, we have different languages in which we express our loves and, and really how we receive that love as well. So, you know, the first time I read through that and I was looking at it, I was trying to decipher kind of my love language, Leslie's love language, it wasn't hard to do because we know each other so well now after these years of marriage. But... I have this love language that Chapman would identify as words of affirmation. That means I like people to pat me on the back. I like for them to encourage me. I like for them to say, good job. Any of you kind of like that? Probably words of affirmation. Yeah. I have decided after talking with different pastors' wives, I think all preachers have that one. They kind of all have that words of affirmation So most of the time when I express my love to Leslie, I'll say it. It'll be a word. Hey, love you That was good. It was great And, and lastly well, she doesn't run on the same track as I do Not in the love language department Her language her love language is acts of service so I mean, literally, we've had this conversation. I'm trying to be authentic, transparent, real with you this morning, okay? We've had this conversation. I'll say, hey, Leslie, I love you. She said, yeah, really, prove it. <laughs> Whoa, where did that come from? I know that's what you say. But, you know, you could take out the trash. That is an act of service. I'll do that. Hayes, would you get down here real quickly, friend? I need you to do something for me real quickly. I'll take care of it. Love should be active. It shouldn't be just in word, but it should be in deed. Again, this same John writes in his first epistle, and he says, But whoever has the world's goods and sees his brother in need and shuts up his heart from him, how does the love of God abide in him? My little children, let us love, not love in word or tongue, but in deed and in truth. See, John said that love itself has to be active. And where did he get that from? He got that from God. God had demonstrated his love, it was active in the sense that he sent his one and only Son for us. God didn't just look at us and say, Oh, those poor sinners down there, man, they're in a mess. They're flawed, they're broken hmm, that's just a bad shape. He didn't just stop the conversation there. What God did is He said, you know what, I've got a plan for this. I knew this was going to happen and before time itself, I knew that I would send my one. Jesus is going to go. And Jesus actively stood and took the initiative to come to die for you and for me. Friends, that's what love is. It is active sacrificial love, and for us, as we come before Him, we recognize that this is again the supreme example of what giving is all about. John, in his first letter in chapter three, verse 16, John 3:16, the gospel is kind of, "For God so loved the world." First John 3:16 is, "Since God so loved the world." He basically says, by this we know love, because he laid his life down for us. This is how we know love, because Jesus died for us. And we ought to also lay down our lives for the brethren. Again, Paul gives us this great example of giving. Romans 8, 32. He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with his him freely give us all things in other words what paul said was if our god was willing to give his son up for you what makes you think that he won't meet every other need in your life if he is willing to come to you and give to you his very best why do you think he is he can't come to you and take care of your financial needs or your physical needs or any other need that you have in your life Our God loved you and He loved me so much that He gave His one and only Son. And that love is the example, the supreme example for us in our lives. He gave out of love, and what did He give? Well, very simply, He gave life. Primarily, He gave life. That's what He says. That whoever believes in Him should not perish or be destroyed decisively, but that He would have everlasting life. He gave us His Son. He gave us life. I I went through in the last couple days in particular, and I just kind of perused this Gospel of John, and I, I noted all the different times that Jesus spoke of himself as really being life or giving life. I, I want you to hear it. This, this, just a few of them, okay, just a few. Let me just read to you what Jesus said about himself as recorded by John. most assuredly, I say to you, he who hears my word and believes in him that who sent me has everlasting life and shall not come into judgment but is passed from death. In a life, for as the Father is life in himself, so he has granted the Son to have life in himself. John chapter five John chapter six, most assuredly, I say to you, he who believes in me has everlasting life. I am the bread of life John 8:12 I am the light of the world. he who follows me shall not walk in darkness, but have the light of life John 1125 actually john twenty twenty eight my sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me, and I give them eternal life, and they shall never perish, neither shall anyone snatch them out of my hand john eleven twenty five I am as he spoke to Martha, think about this as Lazarus is in the grave, what did he say? I am the resurrection and the life, He who believes in me though he may die, he shall live. Did you hear that by the way jesus said i 'm not just bringing the resurrection, I am the resurrection. I'm not just going to bring you life. I am life. I think most of y'all are dead this morning because I'm telling you, I could get happy about this. <laughs> I mean, think about it. Jesus didn't say, hey, you're going, to, you're going to know life. I am life, he says. I am standing right before you. I am the one who brings life and I give life. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes unto the Father except through me. And I love this one. When John records it in the book of Revelation, he says, Do not be afraid. I am the first and the last. I am he who lives and was dead. And behold, I am alive forevermore. Amen. And I have the keys of Hades and death. Folks, let me tell you, God gives us life because Jesus himself is alive. He is alive today. He is not dead. Most of us, we walk around sometimes like we are just limp, dead people. My friends, I am alive in the Lord Jesus Christ. And I want people to know that I have life in Him. Folks, I'm going to tell you, when people see Christians and other believers, they ought to see the joy of life flowing out of us. They ought to see joy in who we are because our Savior is alive. He primarily gives us life. How do we receive it? Through faith. Through faith. Notice he says, whosoever believes. Whoever has faith. Do you know that in the Gospel of John, the apostle never uses the noun faith? He always uses a verbal form of faith. What's the significance? It is because faith is an active response to God. When you're talking about having faith, I'm not talking to you about having intellectual assent or somehow some intellectual understanding. I am convinced that there are too many people sitting on our pews that call themselves church members, but they've never come to the saving knowledge of Christ. All they've got is up here. They've never been penetrated in here. When we have faith, we bring our total, complete surrender to Him. It is active. God, I trust you. I believe in you. I give myself to you. And yes, we we become life-giving spirits, as I mentioned a moment ago. Do you recognize we have life and we can portray and give that life to other people? I was struck by a passage some years ago as I read... 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 45. It drew a distinction between the first Adam and the second Adam. It said the first Adam was a living soul. The second Adam was a life-giving spirit. In other words, the first Adam, he just existed. He was a living soul. God had breathed life in him, but that was pretty much it. He was from the earth. He was dusty. He was worldly. And you know how many people live around us every day and all they're doing is existing? Do you know how many people are walking into these doors and all they're doing is existing? Even some who call themselves Christians, they're just going about the motions every day. It's just existing. But the Scripture says that Jesus was a life-giving spirit. I've been challenged about that because there have been times in my life where I just existed in the ministry. But I have prayed, God, make me a life-giving spirit. I know I'm not Jesus. Don't get me wrong, but I got Jesus in me, and I want to be a life-giving spirit. And what I would say to you today as we come to this place of sending, I want to encourage all of you. Students, parents, grandparents, listen to the message that God is a giver and that he gave out of love and that he gave life and take that message and give that life to others. Share the good news of what Jesus Christ has done. When I teach preaching classes for New Orleans, every now and then I'll do that. I tell the preachers that the major objective of every sermon is to give life. Every sermon to give life. And I say to you that that should be the purpose of every life that we live, is to give other people the life of Jesus Christ. That is the reason we sinned. Friends, God sent His Son, gave us eternal everlasting life so that we could share the love of Christ and so that we could send. Some of you know I've been in Dallas the last couple of days with some of the staff and some of the other lay leadership and we talked about sending the send conference that was there and and uh, I went into this uh, conference with Nick Ripkin. Some of you have read his book, "Insanity of God." If you haven't, you ought to. And Nick Ripkin said something yesterday about the sending process, and he said, "You know, the most difficult part of the going out is not the person who goes out on mission or goes out to do things for God for the gospel." It's the one or ones who send these people for the gospel. And then he fleshed it out just a little bit for us. He said, it's not just about the one who goes on a mission trip, goes overseas or goes wherever. It's about the mama and the daddy and the grandmama and the granddaddy who has to say, hey, I'm going to send them off. That's more difficult than the person who actually goes. Some of you are probably experiencing that right now and, this moment of high school graduation or college or what we're doing here today, some of you are probably concerned about that. But let me say to you, it's worth it. It's worth it for the kingdom of God. You see, God could have just retained His Son right there with all the heavenly privileges and prerogatives, but God the Father sent His Son. And for us as a church, what we do today is say, we're sending these individuals with a message of Christ. And it can be difficult for some of us. But we must be about giving life to others through the only name that can bring salvation and forgiveness. And I pray that today that we have come One, to recognize that our God is a giver and also to recognize he has called us with the responsibility of giving life. Would you pray with me? Father, I come to you and I pray in the stillness of this moment that you'd speak to us. God, I don't know exactly what's going on this morning, but I feel a great opposition here in this place. And God, I pray that through your stronghold, you would break this down right now. That you would empower us. God, we call upon you for your strength to be demonstrated. And God, right now, there may be some individuals who are lost in this place. And they're existing. They've never experienced life. God, I pray that they'd be saved. They'd give their heart and their life to you. God, I pray for those that are in this place that need to commit themselves to ministry, to work. Those who need to go out from here to be sent, God, I pray for them. God, I pray that you would speak to us in such a powerful way through your spirit that we would leave here knowing that you have worked in this place. God, we praise your name today, and we trust in you. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you stand this morning?